Well, he's a great, mighty God. Amen? And let's take time to praise him. Would you join me in prayer right now? Father, we come to you. We thank you that we're gathered in your presence. And we thank you that you are the one from whom all blessings flow. We come to this morning in your presence. Lord, we are a needy people. Desperately needy. Lord, those who hear and the one who speaks, desperately needing you today. And we pray, Father God, that through your spirit, through the precious power of Jesus Christ, that you will undertake for us today. Lord, that you will meet our needs, that you will meet with us. Lord, that you will inspire us by your spirit to truly worship you and serve you. Lord, we thank you for this blessed day you've given us. Now open our hearts as we continue to worship. May you be all and all as we wait before you, as we hear you speak. Now may our hearts say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. Wonderful to see you here this morning. Great to worship with you. And what a difference a week makes, right? Uh, last week, six degrees, and now about 66 degrees, but that's Tennessee, isn't it? And I tell you, after all those winters in the Midwest, I'll take this anytime, anytime. Well, this morning I want you to open your Bibles. I trust it'll be an easy place for you to find because it's Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Would you turn there? And if that's a hard place for you to find, uh, well, just open the front cover, all right? When I was a boy, on occasion... Uh, my dad would take me over to Illinois with him from Indiana to visit his family because uh, most of my dad's side of the family, though all both sides of my family from the hills of Kentucky, uh, most of his side had made their way up to Illinois and, and uh, most of his family involved in farming. And he'd lived there for many, many years uh, during his uh, his young adulthood, especially during the Depression, he made a lot of friends, and especially after he became a Christian, and my dad wanted to go and find as many people that he could from his former days and tell them about what the Lord had done for, for him. And that was a, a great, those are great memories in my life of being with my dad on various occasions when, when he would intentionally be talking to someone about what Christ had done for him. And I remember on one of those occasions, we had traveled to Illinois, and he wanted to see this man that he had worked with for many years uh, during the Depression when they were working together uh, for about 50 cents a day, uh, working in the, the cornfields there. And finally, he located this man, and he had a time sharing with him, and remember him talking to him about the Lord. And then he introduced me to this, this man who was elderly at that time, his eyesight was failing. And so the man asked me to come near, and 
I came and stood before him after my dad introduced him, and he put his hands on my shoulders. He looked very intently in my face. And then he looked at my dad, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Luther, as long as that boy lives, you will never die. <laughs> as long as that boy lives, you will never die. Now, I didn't understand that at first, but then I started thinking about it. I understood he meant that I looked like my father. And quite frankly, that was a little discouraging because I never thought of my dad as really a handsome man, quite <laughs> frankly. But I want to tell you something. As I grew, my dad grew too. Any of you had that experience? I'm always amazed at how much my dad learned while I was at college. <laughs> As I grew, my dad grew. He grew in my eyes. And I came to the point, yes, I was glad to look like him. But I also had a goal to be like him. I wanted to be like him. To, to truly, in some way, really bear his image. Now this morning, I want to begin a series for a few weeks to open our hearts, open our minds about the incredible privilege and calling that every child of God has. Every child of God has this incredible calling and privilege and that is to be in our Father's image. Now it may be that as you think about your earthly father, there's Perhaps pain and sadness, maybe a lot of difficulty comes back from those memories. Maybe you have great and fond memories, are blessed that way as I am. But regardless of whatever the father image might be in your physical existence, we all absolutely have the same father in our spiritual existence, don't we? And the great calling in our life, the great privilege, the great purpose of our life is to bear his image. Now, I've thought a lot about this recently. I think it's the reason the Lord's put it on my heart and shared it with the other pastors and they're in agreement with that. That our understanding of our lives, our personal identity, who we are, our perspective on others, who other people are, our perspective on life, our, our worldview, our purpose. Why am I here? Why was I born? Why am I on this planet? And all the priorities that flow out of that are all anchored in that idea of bearing the image of God. There's nothing bigger than this. Nothing. There is nothing bigger than your understanding of God's purpose in your life as his image bearer. 
And I want us to take a few Sundays to think about that. This morning, I want to lay the foundation. What does it mean to be an image bearer? To be made in God's image. And that's the reason we're in Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to read and follow along with me as we read from Genesis 1 as God gives the account of the creation of mankind and mankind's purpose as image bearers. We read about it this way, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the flesh, the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male And female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. In his image, what does it mean to be an image bearer of God? Imagine that. To have as your purpose To bear the image of God. Now let's think about that this morning as we, first of all, just lay some foundation here and talk about, first of all, the intent of this, the intent of God's image. Notice verse 26, this amazing verse. It says that God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. God's intent for man, God's intent for mankind is is wrapped up in those words, image and likeness. Image and likeness. Now, volumes have been written on that subject. Volumes of theology, philosophy. What does it mean that man is created in the image of God? And it's not something that probably can be even fully defined. Because after all, we're talking about God, right? And so the idea of what it means to be made in his image is in some ways indefinable. But probably the best way to approach this is to think about the words the way they would have been understood when they were first used and first mentioned. When God said, 
He made mankind in his image and his likeness. What do we understand from that? Well, the word image here and the word likeness are used interchangeably in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures. They're very close, slightly different ideas behind them, but they can be used interchangeably. The word image here is the Hebrew word selim, selim. And in the Old Testament, it's almost always used in a negative connotation where God repeatedly warned his people not to make any image, not to make something that was to be bowed to, was to be revered, nothing that was being made in his image. The idea of that which is representing him or some other God, a false God. The word likeness is the word demuth, demuth. And it has the idea of representation. It has the idea of being similar to the original. Not identical, but being similar. And it, the idea of representing the original. And so from the meaning of these two words, there's two basic concepts that we take from them. Two basic concepts about what it means that God made mankind in his image and according to his likeness. It means these two fundamental things. Number one, human beings are like God. Human beings are like God. Now, apart from sin, of course, and sin has distorted the image of God in man, and we'll talk more about that. But man still retains the image of God. And so human beings are like God, not in physical bodies, because God is not physical. He is, he is spirit. But human beings are like God. That is, we make God's invisible attributes visible. Human beings were created to make the invisible God visible. Those attributes of God which can be shared, those are displayed in human beings. The second thing we learn about from this is that human beings not only are like God, but human beings represent God. Let us make man in our image and let us make him according to our likeness. They represent God in relation to the rest of creation. Man is distinct from the rest of creation. Man has unique position with the rest of creation. Human beings have been given rule over all creation. You read that. He said, have dominion over all creation. Under God, human beings have dominion of the earth. All creation. That is so true. Did you know that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, we are reminded that one day human beings will judge angels. Angels will be judged by redeemed human beings. 
So God's intent in creating us has to do with his image, his likeness, to be like God, to represent God. And now what I'd like us to do is just take a few minutes here and let's just consider some of the implications of that. The implications of that. How are we as humans more like God than the rest of his creation? We are part of creation. How are we as human beings more like God than the rest of his creation? Well, there's four implications here I'd like us just to consider briefly. Number one, there are the moral aspects the moral aspect. Human beings have the ability to reason. Human beings have the ability to use logic and learn. It, that sets it apart from the rest of creation. Now it's true, some, some animals display a remarkable ability to learn and have remarkable uh, cognitive abilities. But there's a difference. You see, animals don't engage in abstract reasoning. Uh, you don't see animals writing the history of their kind. Animals do not get involved in art to display nature. Animals are not writing in literature. Animals are not involved in philosophical concepts. I heard a story about that once. There was a farmer who was not well educated and he decided that he wanted to educate himself so he decided he would just jump right in with the study of philosophy. And the first volume that he read was by the French philosopher Descartes. And of course, as he was reading Descartes and trying to understand him, he, he came to Descartes' famous statement, I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. And he was turning that over in his mind and he, he, he was just trying to understand that. And then he went into the, as he was in the barn working, he, he had a eureka moment as he was there brushing, brushing his horse and he said out loud, I think, therefore I am. And the horse disappeared. And the lesson is, don't put Descartes before the horse, all right? Okay, some of you are saying nay to that joke. I know that, all right? All right. Come back. I'm sorry, that probably... I'm, I'm, I'm testing your mental aspects here, okay? There's the moral aspects. There's the moral aspects of being made in the image of God. There's an inner sense of right and wrong. The Apostle Paul says that as human beings, we have God's law written in our hearts. Isn't that interesting? Human beings everywhere for all time have had an inner sense of things that are right and wrong because they're made in the image of God. All human beings have an awareness of accountability. 
There is an innate understanding that I am created and I will give an account. There is a God consciousness that all human beings have. That's the reason there's never been found a group of human beings ever that do not worship. All human beings worship. Now, they may pervert that worship to the worship of themselves, but all human beings worship. There's a God consciousness. Then being made in the image of God has spiritual aspects. It means that we're not just physical bodies, but being made in the image of God, that the real us is immaterial. We are spirit beings. We have physical beings for this world in which God has placed us, but the real us is immaterial. We have spiritual life so that we can relate to God who is spirit. Our spirit to his spirit. We have spiritual life and we have immortal existence. Because we are made in the image of God, we are immortal. A billion years from this morning, you'll still be alive. We are immortal. And then the fourth focus I'd just like to share is there's the relational aspect. There's a relational aspect when it says we're made in the image of God. Did you notice something remarkable in verse 26? Look at it again. What does it say? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, who's the us and the our? This is God speaking. But God says us. This is the first hint in the word of God that within God, the one God, there is a plurality of personalities. This is the first hint of the Trinity which will be revealed through the scriptures. That God is one, but he eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that in God, there is relationship. In God, there is actual spiritual community. And that's an amazing thing to think about, that as being made in the image of God, God is allowing us to enter into the communion that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will never be equal to God, but being made in his likeness according to his image and being given spiritual existence, we are able to enter into a communion with God and all of his persons. And we're able to do that together. You see, that's ultimately what we're about here this morning. That if we are Christians, if we are gathered and our spirits given to us by God are communing with his spirit in worship and we are doing this together as the body of Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? God's intent in the creation of mankind, when we think about these things, it should lead us to worship. 
You'll notice every week we're going to have an insert in the bulletin. It's just a way to follow up on what the thoughts that have been shared in worship on Sunday morning, those thoughts followed up in some further time for you to reflect and also maybe share those together as a couple or in family devotion. But I want you to notice here that Joe, Pastor Joe, he cites Psalm 8. And listen to what David said in his worship as he thought about himself. Listen to what he said as he thought about himself and mankind. Psalm 8 verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place... What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and have crowned him, that is mankind, man, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. David is thinking about this incredible, amazing truth that human beings are made in the image of God and have been given dominion over the works of God's hands. Now that is worshipful, but the way this even becomes more worshipful is as it becomes personal. And that's what I want us to do now for the next few minutes. Let's take these foundational truths and let's begin to make them personal. Because what you're going to see is it's not just that mankind is made in the image of God. Listen carefully. Every individual is made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. Now let's look back at our text. Look if you would at verse 27, Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created man, that is mankind, and he created mankind, male and female. What does that mean? Both men and women are image bearers of God. Men and women are created distinctively. Notice he says male and female, he created them. They're created distinctively. Look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 gives us a little fine-tuning of the creation story, especially when it comes to the creation of man. And notice what it says about God's creation of man. It becomes very personal and very individual. Chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. Now do you notice the intentionality of that? It's the image here of God on his knees scooping up some dirt and, and 
fashioning that dirt into the form of a man. And, and then notice the intimacy. It says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Do you get this image? The image in your mind is of God that is creating Adam. He's doing it very personally, very individually, and he's breathing his life into the body of this one he has created. Friend, listen. There is nothing evolutionary about that. That's not randomness. That's not eons of time and particles just happening to whatever is supposed to be the answer to that. This is God Almighty individually, intimately involved, not in randomness, but very clear personal creation of man. And it's the same with the creation of the woman. Look at verse 18. Then God said, it is not good that man should be alone. That's the first time God ever said something was not good. It's not good that man should be alone. And literally is this, this aloneness is not good. This aloneness is not good. I will make him a helper fit for him. And the idea is not servant, but it means a counterpart, a companion, someone like. I will make this counterpart, this companion for him. Notice God's intent, how he did that. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with his flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now notice, God is equally creating both. God is equally creating Adam and Eve. He's using the same basic stuff. Even though the stuff is taken from the man, it's the same basic building blocks. And he is uniquely creating the woman as a companion counterpart to man. Both are image bearers. Both are different and unique. And when God brought the woman to the man, I'm sure Adam said, viva la différence. <laughs> That's where French started right there. Once you know that. That's in the Hebrew. You got to dig that out. But that's where it started. Male and female are image bearers created distinctively by God and they are created for that distinction. Look back at chapter 1, verse 27. Chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. The difference between male and female 
is God-determined. It is not man-determined. It is not self-determined. Male and female is determined by God. The very DNA of human beings is appointed by God, not in self-determination, man-determination, or cultural determination, but by God's determination. Now, the image of God is so important to the Lord that he is very much about protecting the image. Protecting and respecting the image of God. I want you to think just for a moment about the importance of God's image. The importance of God's image. Image bearers are to be respected and protected. As a matter of fact, the first responsibility God gave human government the first responsibility God gave human government was to protect his image. If you'd like to turn over a page, look at Genesis chapter 9, just for a moment. Genesis chapter 9 is the account of Noah and his family leaving the ark. God destroyed the earth for its wickedness, And then God created a covenant. He made a covenant between himself and mankind. And he even gave a sign of that covenant. What is that sign that we love to see? It's the rainbow. It's the sign of the covenant. Every time you see the rainbow, you are reminded, as God said, of the covenant that he has made with mankind. But remember one of the responsibilities of that covenant that he gave to mankind. Chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, that is, whoever commits murder, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. God says that the crime of murder is even more than a taking of a life. It is an assaulting of God himself. Because every human being is made in his image. And God has said that one who is guilty of deliberately murdering someone made in his image that person is also guilty of assaulting the very representation of God and that person's life is to be forfeit for that crime. That is in the covenant which is seen by the rainbow. God wants human lives protected And he wants those image bearers respected. Protected and respected. You remember what James said? James said, but no human being, James 3 verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father, with, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The Lord does not take lightly the defamation of other people's character. He does not take lightly malicious attacks on others because those others are other image bearers. They represent him. God's image is to be protected and it's to be respected. Now, my friend, you are an image bearer. And that is where a true self-image and a true identity begin. Friends, I want you to know, as much as we hear about personal identity and self-image, you cannot understand self-image and personal identity apart from this. You're an image bearer. You're made in the image of God. And that is where your identity comes from. Our identity is through being made in God's image. You can't find your identity in yourself. You can't find your identity in your own attempts. Your identity is found in the one who made you and whose image you bear. Let's close with this. David leads us in wonder and worship again. And I do want you to turn to this passage, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, if you're using the Bible there, page 522. But turn there. Turn there in your Bible. And just let us close right here. What a beautiful place for us to land on this Sunday, Sanctity of Life Sunday. If there were no other words in the Bible but these words, we would know what God says about the life of the unborn. The life of the unborn. They're unborn, but they have life. They're already image bearers. The Bible is replete with this, but listen to what David says as he worships God, infinite and intimate. And he says this in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Does that sound like chance? Randomness? You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame, the word frame here means skeleton. My frame was not hidden you from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. What's he talking about? He's talking about the forming of the human body in the dark place of the womb of the mother. 
like the depths of the earth, there in the darkness, even before perhaps the mother knows the child is there, God is weaving together the tissues, the structure of that body. And now notice this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Now, if you mark your Bible, you might mark those two words, unformed substance. It's one word in Hebrew. It's the only time it's used in the Hebrew scriptures. And it means this. It means your eyes saw my embryo. In my embryonic state, you saw me. Before I had a body, I was a person. Even in my embryonic state, you saw me. And in your book were written, every one of them, the days. You already knew the days that were formed for me. When as yet, not the first one had taken place. There was none of them. Isn't that something? What do we learn from this? We learn that every human being, listen, and every human being, before they are born, as they are being formed, until the very moment of their passing, has dignity, value, and worth as an image bearer. We, are, we see we are personally created by God. God created you. That is not arrogance and pride to say that. As a matter of fact, the beginning of wisdom is to say, God created me. God precisely created you. He chose the very characteristics that are a part of you. His sovereign plan. His purpose is even wrapped up in the very characteristics of your body. And he purposely created you. The Bible says that you were created for those days that were formed for you. Now friends, what this tells us is that it is an awesome and amazing thing to know that we are made in the image of God. It gives us our understanding of our identity, our very personhood. It gives us the understanding of the very purpose of our life to know that we are the image bearers of God. And friends, that image has been marred by sin But thank God, as we're going to see, there's one that he has sent in his image, the image of his son, amen, who has come to free us from the distorted image that sin has brought. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. I thank you for your attention this morning. I know that we've laid foundational truths and we've 
built a, a platform, so to speak, of what it means to recognize we're made in the image of God. All people are made in the image of God. But I wonder if we could just let that soak in just for a moment. Lord, you created me. I am made in your image. I am your image bearer. Perhaps just to say those things in your mind right now would, would begin to clarify maybe some things in your life right now, maybe some decisions you're facing would begin to be clarified if you just go back to the very basics of your existence. Just say, I am made in your image. Lord, I bear your image. You have created me on purpose. I live for a purpose. Lord, help me to bear your image well. Help me through Christ by your spirit to display you well. Help me to make decisions based on who I really am, not who people say I am. The world says I am, but who you say I am. Lord, I pray for those of us here this morning. We are struggling with this great truth. We're struggling with yielding to your sovereign will. Help us, O oh Lord, to recognize your will is good and perfect. And I pray, O oh Lord, for those that have gone astray, going away from who they really are, Help them, Lord, to come back and say, here I am, an image bearer of God. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we honor you this morning. You are great. And God's people said, amen.